This episode is sponsored by our friends at Musicbed. Find the perfect song for your films with a highly curated roster featuring hundreds of artists, bands, and composers. As a good listener, you can get your first month of subscription free or 20% off a single song purchase. Just enter promo code GOOD when you check out. Also this season, we're continuing to give away a ton of content over at Patreon, sharing treatments, behind the scenes photos, and ways to interact with our guests from each episode. To become a patron, check out patreon.com slash good the podcast. Hey guys, my name's Christian Schultz, and this is good. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of Good, episode 5. We've got 5 in a row, kids. We've come a long way, and we got a lot more to come. So thank you guys for being a part, thank you for listening, and for telling all your friends, and, and, and being like so cool and stuff. So today I'm bringing you a very cool interview with a director named Eva Machone, and I saw a music video of hers uh, recently. And I didn't know who she was, and I saw this music video, and I've left a, a link in the description of the show so you can go and watch it. We talk a lot about it, and we talk pretty in-depth about how she went about doing it, but um, it takes place on a roller coaster, and it's a music video, and that's pretty much all you need to know. So sit back, or turn up the radio, or put in your headphones for a very cool interview with director... Eva Michonne. I have. Dude, what are you drinking? <laughs> um, I'm drinking a key lime Lacroix, Lacroix, mm. uh, or uh, you know, cockroach-free Lacroix, <laughs> as they now say. I think you that's actually that, what right? I have in my fridge. Uh well, the key lime. Yeah, the actual, the, the exact flavor that you're that you're drinking. So, what happened with cockroaches? What are you talking about? Oh, it was like recently discovered, I think, that um uh the that the LaCroix uh product has some sort of pesticide running through it. Or maybe there was a batch of them that had like a cockroach killing specifically cockroach uh killing pesticide. That's what I heard. That's the you didn't hear this? It was like no. a a moment, a social media moment for sure, but and this Obviously, was like recently. Uh, yeah, in the last, I think definitely in the last year. Okay. Um, I'm still drinking it. <laughs> Are you the type of person that like would would go and eat Chipotle even though everybody's freaking out about it? Oh, what's uh, what what happened with Chipotle? Why are they've had it like a couple out? times where the the lettuce has. Mm. traces of ebola or something like that mm. like it was something it's like mm. a couple people died from mm. eating chipotle <laughs> but, sorry that's that's horrible yeah <laughs> people died from eating chipotle yeah i think it was like some oh, kids man. though i think that's why it was a big thing it was like a couple kids or like an old person oh that i could sucks. be wrong about it being ebola though it, it may be something else we may get sued by chipotle and right. Lacroix for defamation <laughs> 
to so the the first I don't even know how to transition. The the first thing that I saw of yours recent it was actually like very recently um, was this uh, music video that you did for Mia Follick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it I wanted to you know get you on to talk about basically to figure out how you actually concepted it and then made it in like sort of the process behind that video. But you kind of strike me as um, someone who sort of um, knows the path that they want to make stuff in. Like they, that you have a very specific voice, but you're also working in commercials and, you know, branded content and and stuff. But, Mm. but yeah, I want to, I wanted to ask you and just start with what was the, you know, if, Anybody listening hasn't seen it. Um, I think the song is called "Give It uh, Give It to Me." Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So "Give It to Me" by Mia Follick is just an incredible music video on an actual roller coaster, and I just <laughs> I couldn't help but <laughs> be like, I have to figure out how she made this. So, where did that video begin? Is, and- yeah. Wow. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for liking it and being interested yeah. in in how it was made. Um, it was probably the, um, it's the second last music video I shot last year. I didn't make any music videos. I I wanted to take a break from them, um, and see what would happen. But, um, I shot, I was introduced to Mia, um, actually quite randomly, a friend of mine in Berlin gave her a care package to give to me because she was in Berlin. Hmm. And then Mia, and then I went to meet Mia to get this package from her. And then someone was like, oh, Mia, you should like check out her music. And like in the like interaction I had with her, I was like, oh, she's cool. Um, She's obviously a a cool person. Um, I'll check out her music. And then I did. And then she reached out to me about making a music video. And then it kind of went from there. So I, I should thank Olga, my friend in Berlin for you know, that initial spark. It's funny how these things start sometimes. Um, and she sent me this song and I was listening to it, you know, over and over again. And, um, it, it came to me in like a real quick flash because there's just this part in the song where she, um, it's like right after the first chorus, she, lets out this scream, this like squeal. And I just pictured her on a roller coaster in that moment. And, and, you know, the idea basically as, as many ideas, um, go, I think the, the more you do this job and the, the more experienced you are, like the, the older, more experienced directors get real, get faster at doing this, Mm -hmm. uh, at, at simplifying, but essentially the idea, or at least that's my perspective, um, or at least what I, I've, I've noticed, I think, right, right. Um, it started out as, okay, I have this idea for a roller coaster. I don't know if she'll, I don't know if she'll go for it just being her on a roller coaster. Um, you know, sometimes if you've developed a relationship with an artist for years, you trust each other and you, but when you're still getting to know each other, you're still doing this dance of like, I don't want to offend them by like this or that, or I don't want them to think that I haven't thought this through. So we talked about this idea and we, and we developed sort of a story that was based around a theme park, uh, that included a lot of different characters and, um, and you know the 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 narrative thread was that that Mia is at an amusement park, but and there's these other characters having these moments. Um, uh, but then we always go back to the roller coaster, and then 
thankfully, you know, budget was such a, it was so restricted, <laughs> which right, is, right. I think the, also a, a way of, um, concept concepts become way more interesting when budgets go way down, <laughs> you know, right. the more you restricted you are, the more you have to come up with creative solutions. Um, and so this, the budget actually supported my most simple version of this, this idea. Um, and somehow, you know, my, my team and I helped, helped convince her team. And, and I think she, she was down once I sort of put, put these ideas, um, on paper or on virtual paper. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, as I was doing research, uh, I was kind of like, there aren't that many, there aren't any music videos shot on a roller coaster that right, I can right. find. Um, so that's one thing that's pretty cool. Um, but then, you know, the scenes from movies that movies and shows that take place on a roller coaster, there's like a really, uh, cool scene from that movie fear I don't know if you've seen no. it, but it's like mm -hmm. Reese Witherspoon and Mark Wahlberg on, I think it's called fear Reese Witherspoon and Mark Wahlberg on a roller coaster. It's at night and they get on and it's like, uh, <laughs> as they go up, he basic, like they have like a sexual moment on mm -hmm. this roller coaster. Um, and then the other reference point I had was Mr. Bean, which I grew up watching. Right. Um, I don't know if you know what that is, uh, but it's, it's very much, I grew up in Canada, so, um, it was on, we had a lot of the same TV as England. So it's an English show with Rowan okay. Atkinson. Um, and it's and Mr. About, Bean is kind of connected loosely with like, um, Monty Python, right? Or is it? No, is it it's, totally it's its different? own. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in that it's, it's, but it's sort a detective of, show, right? It's sort of like no, a comedy. No, no, what, no. What it's just, <laughs> um, Detective show comedy. I don't know. Who is that European? There's a, a guy from the UK that does like American sort of like slapstick comedy movies, but I thought it was called Mr. Bean. Oh, wait. Um, um, no, the, the movie versions of Mr. Bean. Yeah. They did turn into that. I okay. think, um, I think I saw the, so it like Mr. Bean was a TV show. It's like 10 episodes. Uh, 10 minute episodes, maybe 20. I'm not sure that that's about this character that Rowan Atkinson invented. That's very physical comedy, mm -hmm. like slap sort of slapstick, but, but I don't want to, it's almost like in Charlie Chaplin, right. you know, it's like, I think it's like highly intelligent, very right. nuanced. Uh, but it's about this guy, Mr. Bean, who's, um, wears a brown suit and he has this little, his bear, um, and he's kind of like a child man. Um, and you, and it's like, there's no dialogue in it basically. So it's really right. good if you're, uh, you know, if you're, if you don't speak English, it's like totally universal, right. um, show, but there's this one episode where Mr. Bean goes to an amusement park and, and he's sort of like, um, it's, it's almost like he has like bad, it's not bad luck, but you know, it's like, uh, it's sort of like his misadventures, like, like bad, right. funny, terrible and strange and, and curious things happen. Um, and so he, when he rides a roller coaster, they, they did actually rig a camera to it. And, but the joke is that as he's on the roller coaster, everyone's screaming, uh, but he like falls asleep on the roller coaster. He's right. not impressed by it. So, um, that was really one of the only references I had, but an interesting thing is that um, 
like I'd never shot a music video before that had performance, like true, perf- like pr- uh, artists performing into camera. Right. I've always resisted that. Um, and I've always been more interested in narrative, but for this one, I really wanted to, um, have Mia looking into the lens. So this is like, for me, I mean, that might sound like a really like, uh, you know, obvious or like banal choice to make. But for me, this is a very intentional, important, big choice to have, um, an artist singing into the lens and having like eye contact with, with the, with the viewer. Um, so I think because of that too, one of my references became Sinead O'Connor, nothing compares to you, um, which influenced Mia wearing a turtleneck and, um, and she already had a shaved head. So that was all, all good. Um, and by the way, tell me, I mean, I, I tend to like ramble and and go off on tangents. (laughs) Okay. Um, so they were down with this idea had some references. And so the first thing we did was find a roller coaster, um, that we could, um, that, that would work. And my producer, Jason at the time recommended, uh, where he grew up this roller coaster in San Diego, um, that's on the, on the pier. I don't remember what it's called, but it's like a hundred year old roller coaster Mm -hmm. that's, um, wooden and one of these really shaky deals. Right. Um, and, I thought it would be good to do a test and, and sort of scout it. So I, I drove out there with Mia and we went on the roller coaster and I, I just recorded her on my iPhone first. Um, and it's funny cause every time we went over the crest and I was recording, uh, like a high frame rate, um, slow motion of, of her singing the song while going over the, the, the edge, my camera would like stop, um, stop rolling every time it, the roller coasters started going fast. Um, and I think that I I assume that that's because the camera thought it was dropped. Like the phone thought I dropped it or something. So, but, um, but the test worked for the lead up at least that, okay, this is going to look pretty cool. So, so we did that test. I think I rode the, I rode on it four times. Um, and like times the length of the ride. Um, and, so that I could figure out how much to speed up the song. Right. Well, that's, um, that's probably like looking at it uh, from the outside, like the technical aspect of it is, is the most like sort of impressive because it's one of those things. Like if you are on the outside, you're like, Oh, that's a really great music video on a roller coaster is super interesting. But like, if you or a director or someone who makes films, you're like, this is fucking crazy. Because you, <laughs> you have to imagine, like, I, when you're talking about the timing of everything, I'm like, I'm also thinking of, well, there's parts where she's, like, cresting when she's going over the chorus. And, like, there's part, you know, there's parts mm-hmm. that you would seem to time almost perfectly for just, like, one, mo- like one moment mm-hmm. of slow motion. And so that, like, how did you you know, you started talking about it, but how did you time that out? And did you write it down? Like, how did you practically actually do it? <laughs> yeah, it was, this was a really fun puzzle to figure out. I mean, it was frustrating, but also fun. Um, so when we came, I think we had four hours to shoot the whole video. Um, we, we booked the roller coaster basically for the, the few hours that, um, 
before the amusement park opened. Um, it might've even been a, a weekend. I'm not sure, but, um, and who do you call to, <laughs> to book a roller coaster just for my future reference? Oh, I mean, that's none of my business. That's the producers. And, so it's just uh, like, you just contact yeah, they, the, theme, the theme park? Yeah, yeah. Because the thing is that they're, they actually, you'd be surprised. I mean, um, at least in Los Angeles and the surrounding area, most, most places seem to be either like production friendly or sure, right. production adverse, but they've all um, experienced it in some, in some way. So they have, they usually have like a relate, like a, uh, some kind of a, like a formality film. Uh, yeah. Like a, a film, um, uh, relations person or right. something. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so they, so this was proven to me because, um, so I, I selected Eli Bourne, uh, to shoot the video. He's a really amazing, uh, DP based in LA. Um, he's, he and I talked about, um, how to, it's, it's funny, like the, every small detail became, because the video is so simple, all the small details become very big. So something simple like, um, okay, well let's make sure to rig the camera on her car, not the one in front of it, because whenever it makes a turn, she'll leave the frame, which is kind of cool, but will be disconnected from her in that moment. So it's not that cool because we're trying to keep eye contact and a connection. So when we got there, the first hour was basically spent, you know, rigging the camera and making sure everything's safe. But when we got there, they were like, we, we had heard that they already had a setup. Like they, they're used Hmm. to putting cameras on their roller coasters. Um, I don't know why, but they, they had a special thing, like a, a rig that went, that attached to the car in front of her. And that was like safe and tested and all this stuff, all good. Um, but we were like, um, we'd actually like it to be in the same car as her. So then, um, it became a lot, there's a lot of back and forth and they basically told us it couldn't, it wouldn't work. It's not going to happen. It's not safe. There's no precedent set for it. It might kill Mia, you know? Um, and I don't know how, but somehow the end of the conversation was, I guess we could do it. (laughs) Uh, and we figured it out. They figured it out. I mean, uh, you know, think it's funny how when you're in a moment like that, everything sort of like feels so touch and go. Right. And then in retrospect, it's like, yeah, they just, it just happened. Um, and Mia was super, she was down and super comfortable with everything. So, and it, it you know, we, we did a test run first. Um, of course, we also needed the audio, like, like a speaker to be mm, attached right, right. to next to the camera so that Mia could follow along. So in the week leading up, um, I'm not going to remember exactly the ratio, but it was like, I think we had to speed up the song. I did a few versions. I did a version of the song that was like 250, uh, 250% faster. Another one that was like 400% faster. So Um, were you guys shooting at 48 frames per second or even slower than that? No, I think we, it's possible that we did a, no, I think we, we, 
I think we were at 200 oh, frames wow. per second. Like, I think we pushed it to the limit. I think that the Alexa, may- I think it was an Alexa mini and I think that it doesn't go over 200 or something. Right. It makes me like, I'm watching it, you know, watching it again. It almost makes you think that like, I guess, cause the roller coaster actually is going extremely fast. Mm-hmm. It makes it seem like you're shooting it a little bit slower frame rate, you know, but like watching again, it actually is like, (laughs) I think, uh, you know what? I think we actually did a few, I think we did a 200 that might've been without singing. And then I think we did, uh, I think we landed on one speed for her, uh, to sing along with, but I don't remember. It might've been, I know it was, I don't think it was 48. I think it was somewhere in between. Um, and I don't, it's it's maybe it's terrible. I don't remember, but I don't remember. Who was your uh, DP on this? It was Eli Bourne. Okay, and he's Eli like Bourne. A, yeah, he's an LA person, or yeah, he's LA based, um, and he's he's wonderful. Um, well, we were at the mercy of of the weather, right? Yeah. Okay, so we basically had um, Mia's singing part first, and then the plan was that the people in the back, the extras, once Mia is done, we're going to pull, pull them up, uh, and do like three rounds of takes of just the extras. And each time we would make everyone move up in their seats. Like instead of moving the camera, we would move the people up so that we would have close-ups of the other people on the, on the ride. Um, so the first thing we did was run the camera, uh, and, and let the roller coaster go um, without anyone on it to like make sure it was safe, but also to time the um, the 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 ride. So with the camera on it, so we timed the ride because my whole thing was that I wanted I wanted her to by the time she went over the first um, uh, what's it called um, arc right. Uh, uh, crest. Um, I wanted her to hit the chorus and not sing it, sing it. I I wanted to just see her reacting to falling while, while the chorus like climaxes basically. Um, so that was really the only thing I, I needed us to hit and the rest felt like it would be okay to just uh, whatever happens, happens kind right. of thing. To just be energy. Yeah. yeah. So we, we timed, you know, okay, so the, the ride starts um, and then there's this little tunnel that it has to go through. Um, and then we're like, okay, we'll start singing. You have this many seconds between the tunnel and the crest, so we have to make it fit in there. And we had a guy doing playback, so he would basically um, – man, it's, it sounds so complicated. He would hit playback once she was out of the tunnel and we would just like (laughs) hope that it hit. But here's the, here's the thing. This is why I love this idea though. Cause it's like, you You think it's simple. No. Yeah. It's like, no one would let you do this in another world, like no commercial, no, like whatever. And it, and what it comes down to is like those types of like Mm. pieces of information where it's like, yeah, my friend had to press play at this time and mm. the Bluetooth wasn't working and like, you know, shit like that. That's yeah. like, we had to make this ourselves. And like, that's what shows at the end. Right. You know, like, because I think even, even like little decisions 
are massive. Like just what she's wearing versus mm-hmm. like the colors of the of the roller coaster and like mm-hmm. the idea of like the lipstick with the earrings and like it's so it's just perfect mm. because it's so small, right? Thank you. Yeah. But I think the way yeah. that you yeah, the the simplification of everything so that everything in the frame is important, I think is um it definitely shows in this. Thanks. I think that I think that those details have the if they're all in harmony, I think it has the potential always to become to make someone iconic. Right. Like I think that um you know, we could have chosen a whole bunch of different um combinations of things, but they were sort of trying to be I don't know, somehow bold but not overpowering her. Right. Um, and I think she, I think she is very iconic, um, and definitely just easy to look at and watch, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, it's, she has this like alienness while she's on the ride too. Mm. Like when she goes over the first crest and she goes, it's almost like she's experiencing her feeling she's never felt before. Mm. And it makes her, <laughs> it makes it like so enjoyable to watch. This musical break is brought to you by Musicbed. This is a band called Live Footage, a cello and drum duo that are creating some of the most unique compositions I've heard recently. I love this music because it doesn't really tell me what to feel, but it simply kind of becomes a part of whatever you're doing with a visual or a story. And I feel like that's a really rare quality to have in music these days. If you'd like, you can check out more music by live footage at musicbed.com slash live footage. And don't forget to use coupon code good at checkout for an extra 20% off. Now let's get back to the show. You obviously have experience in like knowing when to say less is more, you know, do you try and bring that into even like commercials and stuff? I think, uh, both. I tend to try to distill things and the trick is communicating why that works or something. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, I think that sometimes, yeah, I'm working on a project and then I watch it back in my head before it's made. And then I think, wow, the most, the simplest form of this would be the coolest. And, and then it's like, um, I think the more practice you have it, communicating that or and, uh, so much of directing is just communicating, convincing people of things, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, but <laughs> I, I think that the, the most efficient and simplest, um, uh, execution is, is the most rewarding. And oftentimes projects start really, really kind of complicated and commercials often come to you in a mess right. and it's nice to be, uh, asked to sort of streamline it or simplify it. Um, and 
And as long as you can include people in that process um, and have them feel like they're collaborative with you, then you can, I think, um, win those battles. Right. But I would love to, uh, I would love it if, if I could make, I think that that's my goal is to, is to always be simplifying and refining things to their, to not be, um, you know, I, I think that, that extra parts just sort of dilute the, the the power of the the main thing. And sometimes it's just like, well, what's the one main thing you're trying to say with this, with this project. And it's, it's like, if you kind of have to pick one, a lot of, a lot of projects don't, most projects, most things I think don't get to have more than one message, one, one singular message or theme, Yeah. but it, we get greedy and we want to put a lot of, uh, a lot of ideas in and, and sometimes you have to just know when to separate them and save right. something for another time. And I think that's, that's also something that you also have to learn, you know, like nobody just gets into filmmaking and, and starts making like the most simplest, elegant films, you know, like you, you have to, you have to make a ton of, of bad stuff first. You right. have to. Do you have like a, a pretty, specific way that you approach any creative, whether it's commercial or, um, music video, is there a way that when you get it, you break it down into something so that you can see that simplicity? Yeah. I like to be really prepared, um, as much as possible. I like to, um, I like to have thought through everything with the team. Um, but the biggest part probably is picking the team, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's kind of like casting a movie or something right. like you, that's most of the work kind of done if you've done the casting right. So picking the DP that, that gets it, the production designer that gets it, all this stuff that just supports you. So, um, yeah, so I like to have, I like to storyboard, do my own storyboards, um, for projects. I like to be involved in, you know, the shot listing and, and the scheduling yeah. and, kind of, um, running through every possible scenario so that I know going in how much time I have for each aspect and, you know, having the checklist of things to, to get, but then, but then the most fun part is, is, um, letting things breathe and become alive on set and being, um, willing to change working on your feet. Um, I'm really like programmed for high pressure situations. Like Mm -hmm. I really, am very keep, like I really keep my cool in an emergency and that translates to being on set. Like, um, I really like to, I really like those moments that seem like everything is just going to hell and everything's going wrong. Like, for example, I shot this commercial recently where it was like a cast of like, I don't know, between 10 and 20 people. And, um, that's a big range, maybe like 15 people. Yeah. Okay. So, um, our first shot was, um, an actor holding first shot of the day. It's, it's like a a commercial for wine. The actress is holding the wine and it's a close up. We start on a close up and then we're going to get wider and wider and she's swirling this glass of wine. And, uh, you know, the, the client didn't have their monitors up yet. And I'm like looking at the, at my monitor and I was like, there's some, is it, 
is there something, what am I seeing here? And the actor was missing part of her finger and we Hmm. didn't notice that in casting or anything like no one make a part. No one mentioned anything about this and she didn't, she didn't voice it. I mean, we didn't hire her for her hands. We, she's a, a great, great lady, but in that moment, it's like, well, shit, uh, what are we going to do about our, our actor <laughs> right. who's m- missing a finger? <laughs> and this is like a close-up of her holding one. So anyway, things like that, um, that becomes like a funny story to tell. Those are like the, the favorite moments. I forget what your question was. Now I'm talking about my actor that had a finger missing. Um, it's something that you, <laughs> you hope to have like the room for on set. And that could make your day for sure. I think that the, I think they want that from you too. Like they want, I think the director is supposed to be looking for this like poetry, even if you don't end up using it. I think that they, I think it's always good to follow your instincts like that. I guess it's, I guess being, being prepared and having all your ducks in a row, but then being free to let instinct take hold on set is like, that's like what it's all about. I think. Anything that's in your control, you want to be in control of that thing. And right. and it's like that's um, – if you just skip that step, then you're kind of being lazy and then that thing is going to bite you in the ass because right. all the stuff you don't have control over is going to like go go upside down. So yeah. – or maybe it isn't. Maybe, it, you know, but well- – do you have like do you do you try and be like as well versed in like every aspect of filmmaking even down to like coloring and Yeah, and- that's a great that's a great question. I think that I think that a lot of directors have a different approach to this and I don't think there's one right way. Um my my background is is that I was uh thought I was going to be a photographer at one point when I was a kid I thought I was going to be an animator mm-hmm. um I did production design out of like first thing out of film school to do to f- like for money and I'd work in art department and then I would direct my own stuff and shoot my own stuff and then edit my own stuff and color my own stuff um and uh and then as I started being you know lucky enough to have uh, people who that's their field, like a real work with a real editor and then a real or a real DP, like all those people felt like gifts. And then the task became, how do I communicate what's in my head to them? And, and that, but then that's so great because you get their, you get their voice, um, mixed in with your voice. And sometimes a miscommunication can lead to something fun that neither of you thought of. So, um, I think it's, I think it's really important to understand the job of everyone on set and to, you know, of course I've PA'd and stuff too. Um, and I think you have to keep studying as a director. I think you have to keep, I think you have to learn about technical things, um, as, as much, you know, within reason. I mean, I'm not going to beat myself up about not knowing as much as, um, my gaffer or something because (laughs) I, I don't care enough. Like they, people pick their specific, um, you know, role because they are absolutely obsessed by that job, I think, which I want people who are obsessed with, with their role on a set. Um, and, but I also want to understand what, what they're doing so that I know, so that it's, it's like you say, it's all about communication. If something's going wrong, I know 
I have an idea of why it's going wrong and right. I can talk to the proper person about how, how to come up with a solution. Right. What do you usually find is sort of like, you know, something that you're still trying to get better at on set, even on, on something you may do tomorrow? What's something that you sort of have identified? Um, basically anytime I have a shoot, um, there's something bugging me after the fact, like I really wish this moment hadn't happened or Mm -hmm. I wish that this hadn't happened. And that's what informs, um, what I do next. Like in the summer I had this shoot and, uh, there was a moment where I didn't know a PA's name and, I wish I had known that person's name in this one particular moment. Right. And I was like, but I was too afraid to get it wrong uh, or look like a, a fool for not knowing his name. So I didn't, uh, I, I felt myself like weaken in that moment. Hmm. And afterward I was like, man, I, I don't want that to happen again. Like it seemed like innocuous, but that was kind of the only thing that really bugged me. And then I decided to learn techniques for remembering people's names and so ever you, since then what are some yeah. of the techniques you learned because i, oh I, I went through this recently not recently but a couple years mm-hmm. ago i started doing like you know i started reading like mind palace or like um what's it called oh no it's called the memory palace it's mm. a book by i'm gonna look it up right now well it was a it was a great book about this guy mm. who did he was a journalist who met these memory champions and they Mm. competed in these memory championships where they would do different tasks. Like you would have, you know, uh, 60 seconds to memorize a deck of cards or you would have 10 minutes to memorize, Mm. um, six decks of cards. And then the final thing was like, you had to memorize a 2000 digit sequence in an hour, like of just ones and zeros. And these people just train and they're regular people. You know, they're not, they don't have, they're not Mm. savants. They're not whatever. They just practice it. Mm. Um, But he dove into this thing, this technique that they all use called the memory palace. And Mm. basically they study architecture and you can do it with like your childhood home or something. Like if you think of your childhood home, you know it it inch Mm. by inch, right? So if you have facts that you need to remember, you can place them in things around your home. Whoa! Because it will it will, it will attach a visual to a question mm-hmm. or an answer yeah. to something, and then that's what triggers you to remember. And you can walk through your home, you know. So they use it a lot for like, you know, ones and zeros because you can just like walk through your house and put ones and zeros around and memorize that sequence like exponentially faster. Yeah, that that is. It's hard to believe. Um, but I imagine that if you like with anything, if like, if you practice and right. set your mind to it, it's crazy how much, how, like how, uh, your mind is so hungry to learn all the time, right. even as you get older, you know, and it's, it's cool when you realize that you can still train yourself to do things like that. Right. And that, that was the interesting thing about the book is that the journalist basically said, okay, I'm going to train to become a memory champion. And then the next year he won amazing <laughs> i love that yeah but yeah so what do you do to to memorize names now well 
the the thing you mentioned about visual having a visual file is is kind of part of what I've what I've been learning to do. I mean, what I learned. I mean, I didn't read a book. I I researched this on YouTube and like <laughs> looked up people's um, techniques. And the one that's worked for me is it relies on meeting someone. So you have to meet in person, f- really to um, to uh, really cement someone in your head. And I've also noticed that um, after shooting, I tend to, if I don't keep up with remembering that person, they do kind of fade away and I have to relearn their name. Mm -hmm. But for example, like um, if we met in person, which we haven't, um, so you have to have like, you have to associate the person's name with um, something visual and something, and then like a, an odd, like, uh, audio thing. Mm-hmm. So like Christian, first thing I think of is, is a cross. Right? right. Um, and then with your face, I would take the most defining feature of your face and, um, and put that on the cross. Oh, like no. I would have a cross. Yeah. Like whatever so the make a new, a new visual. <laughs> Yes. That hasn't existed so, before. Right. Yeah. And like Christian might not even, uh, a cross might not even be the best thing because it doesn't sound like, cause I yeah, might I think of saying. a cross with your defining characteristic and then be like, what's his name? Cross cross. <laughs> uh, and, and the thing too, is that it has to be the first thing that comes to your mind and, right. and you don't share this with anyone. So it's like, and it can't be, it has to be, it can't be like a beard or a hat. Right. Um, but it's, it seems daunting, but the, the little by li- like the more you chip away at it, the more, the easier names become for you. And then actually as you practice it, I would practice it. Like when I go to socialize or go to a bar or something or a, a restaurant, I'd be like, yeah, I get to practice like my name, right, right. <laughs> memory, memory. Um, and you start remembering, I started remembering names retroactively, like names that I'd forgotten from five years ago. It's, it's hmm. weird. Like it triggers, triggers things. But, um, so I've been practicing this and in the last, and my goal on every set is to remember everyone's name, um, on the crew and also all the actors and, it's crazy because the last job I did was, um, I think we had like a at least 20 person, 20, 20 person cast mm-hmm. and, um, and this, my script supervisor complimented me and she was like, I've never worked with an, a director. <laughs> and she's like, a, a seasoned script supervisor who's been around for decades. And she was like, I've never worked with an actor, a director who remembered every actor's name without me telling them. Right. And I was shocked to hear that actually. <laughs> um, right. but, but it was, it, it, what it, I don't do it so that other people feel good. I do it so that I have that power. Like I have mm-hmm. that control over my communication and my moment and, and differentiating people. And it also makes me feel safe. It makes me feel like I'm in a family with people instantly. Um, and I say that, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I'm, you know, I'm just saying that like, I didn't do it so that I would comp- make friends. Right. It just so happens that it also has this bonus of people feel like you're, you notice them and they feel, it makes people feel nice to be remembered, you know? Right. But I was doing it for selfish reasons. <laughs> for power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
the thing that you started out sort of wishing you could be making? Is it features or is it just music videos or what no, is it? No, it's films. It's films. Feature films. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I've been, I've been saying it for a while and now I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm actively building one. I, I've been working on one for, for a couple of years and I'm hoping to shoot my first narrative feature this year. Um, but when I get asked this question, usually actually now I say long form, I want to tell long form stories mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, a lot of people do that in TV now. Right. Yeah. Um, not that I have done that, but I like, like going back to this idea of focusing on one thing. I, my favorite movies are movies that feel like it's one idea explored for two hours, mm-hmm. you know? That's what I really love about films. I think I'll always be in love with feature films. Um, And I don't know if that's going to, I don't know if like the current young generation is, or people who are just being born are going to have that same uh, interest. Cause I have a, I have a half brother who's 17 that I was just hanging out with um, in Poland actually. Uh, a couple weeks ago and he's interested in YouTube and right. memes and things that are under five seconds, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, he does watch movies, but it's not like how we watch movies. Right. I think he like skips, he like scrubs through, I like played him a video I made and he was scrubbing through it. Right. And I was like, stop doing that stop, stop. and he's like why and i was like because you can't scrub real life man mm-hmm. like i like <laughs> told him off but yeah that's yeah. that worries me a lot too <laughs> man. like the way that we consume content may change and i don't want it to you know or mm. i want it to i want it to remain special you know mm. um it's interesting because i mean we grew up with all kinds of I mean, we have a deficit of all the important life events that our parents experienced, you know, so that, and that, I think that's just a generational thing. It's, it's kind of like how eventually we're going to not be able to relate to what our kids think is cool. That's just how it goes. (laughs) By the way, do you have siblings? So I have a older brother, older sister. Okay. I'm the youngest. Are you the youngest? I'm yeah, I have an older brother and uh, not counting my younger half brothers, but um I think that the f- I think that the younger you are in the family, the more the parents maybe let you figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's true? Out of out of just like laziness maybe or just like <laughs> Or 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 like uh, I don't know, or maybe it's um so maybe it's like I can't yeah, you can't control it. So or maybe you can, but Maybe you're tired. Maybe there's just not enough energy to go around. <laughs> right. Or or maybe you've learned something. I don't know right. about it. Because I feel like I was also very, um, I was kind of left, as long as I got good grades, I was kind of left to my own, Right. left to pursue my interests. Where can, um, where can people kind of keep up with you and see the new things that you're doing? I think, I don't know. Um, my website, <laughs> Instagram, I'm on Instagram. That's like the only social media I have. Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of trying to f- trying to land on how I like using it. Because mm-hmm. um, I like posting photography and having it be this kind of archive. Um, and that, but then I don't, I don't know. It's like, 
how do you, by the way, how do you feel about social media and Instagram and how it relates to your work? Um, that's a very good question. At some point it, it became a necessity instead of like a thing you wanted mm. to do. At least to advertise yourself. Yeah. Like it became for some reason, like, I don't know, like I, I miss the days where people would like make like a package of content that went out with the film and it had five mm. photographs that everybody used. It had, you know, certain right. designs that everybody used and like that mm. was the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like, uh, I'm trying to understand the, the value of that as well. Like besides making yourself feel good and other people may be excited and maybe having FOMO or something. I think you have to be mindful of what you eat in that sense. I think, um, I don't think any of it's wrong, but I think moderation is probably the key. Like, um, unless you're, I mean, if your goal was to develop something that gets people addicted to needing company at night, then maybe you listen to figure out what it is about podcasts that make it that way or something. I don't know. Like there's a, I think there's use usefulness in all those things. This episode was mixed by Christian Stromko, or as I like to call him, my dear friend, Christian. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at good, the podcast. 